Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. We always talking about our relationship that we sort of unconsciously hand off the stress ball, the mental stress ball of just whoever is the person that is worrying the most about something. We, t- we tend to never stress at the same time. For whatever reason, unconsciously, as a survival mechanism, one or the other of us is stressing the other person is supporting. And we trade that off often. Jerome, who you just heard, and his wife Shannon are a pair of married television writers. They make TV shows. Over the past couple years, they worked together developing a television series for ABC Studios. And we noticed that in the writer's room, we were doing the same thing because especially when you're writing a brand new show and you're figuring out just out of the ether what the thing should look or feel like and you have no model to follow and you're just creating something new, at multiple points in that process, you're going to stare at something that you thought worked yesterday and you're just going to say, this is a complete mess. This is not working at all. I have no idea what I'm doing and everything is garbage and we should wipe the whiteboard and burn the whiteboard and get a new whiteboard and start over. And that we found that we were, we kept trading off the person who was 
having the Dark Knight of the Soul and the person who was saying, oh, do you just mean we need a better Act 2 out? Is that is that what this is all actually about? No, I think if we fix that scene, then the whole thing works. No, I'm just remembering my refrain was always, I, let's just give the money back. Just give the money back. Like, I just, I don't know what to, and Drew would be like, that's maybe an overreaction. <laughs> Ever since we first started making Committed about four, almost five years ago, we've gotten pitches from Hollywood executives who want to turn it into a television show. These have run the gamut. There have been some hilarious pitches. There have been some that really bordered unoffensive. There was one television exec who said, let's find a really tall guy who's married to a little woman and then show how their marriage is crazy. And I told him that um, we didn't really want to get canceled. But there was one pitch that stood above all of the others. Jerome Schwartz and Shannon Goss created the best and most beautiful pitch for an ABC series based on our show. And that is how I met them. We actually worked together on Adapting Committed into a TV show. The two of them are married television writers, and Adapting Committed for the screen was the first time that they had ever worked together on a project. Of course, I was totally delighted that a married couple would be doing this project together. So keep listening to find out if it's actually going to get made. I'm Joe Piazza, and this is Committed, the television series. When they first met, Jerome was attempting to become a professional TV writer. Shannon was already a staff writer on a little show called ER. The two of them probably never would have crossed paths if it weren't for a massive writer strike in Hollywood. Lifelong dream, had just shown up in town. There was a thing called the writer's strike. I was a real writer, but I was in my very first staff job. So I was, it was a very exciting time to get my first staff job, but then suddenly we found ourselves on strike. And I, our, our, basically what would happen is our staff would either go picket at the studios or we could also go to the Writers Guild. And as all the vans came back from the studios, there was a cute young man there telling us, okay, empty that van, make new picket signs and do all of that. And that guy was drunk. Yeah, and when I say we, I definitely mean they because I was at that point not a member of that guild, but I found a job during the strike working at the guild so that I could meet writers so that someday I could become a writer. But it turns out I met more than uh, <laughs> just writers who could help me with my career because it was there at the Writers Guild where the writing staff of ER decided they should connect me to the newest member of their writing team, which was Shannon. And Shannon, you were, you were, a, re you were a real writer at that point. Shannon you was a real writer. Writing. I was a real writer, but I was in my very first staff job. So I was, it was a very exciting time to get my first staff job, but then suddenly we found ourselves on strike. And basically what would happen is our staff would either go picket at the studios or we could also go to the Writers Guild. And as all the vans came back from the studios, there was a cute young man there telling us, 
okay, empty that van, make new picket signs and do all of that. And that guy was Jerome. And so I had commented to one of my coworkers that I thought he was cute and being bored writers and all, they took it upon themselves to say, okay, perfect. Now we have something we can do. And so what their plan that they hatched, their plan was to all go to the guild, do our volunteer duty, and then to say, hey, Jerome, we should go across the street to the farmer's market and have a drink. Why don't you come with us? And their plan all along was to have one drink and then bail and leave the two of us there. So they all went out for drinks, all the real riders and Jerome, and suddenly everyone else had to go relieve their babysitters or walk their dog. And Shannon and Jerome were just there alone like it was a date. Except there was one person still there, except for Bob. Unbeknownst to them at the time that they were hatching this plan is that there are other people at the Guild volunteering and there was this very nice feature writer, Bob, who was with us volunteering. And so they of course invited Bob, but had neglected to inform him of the plan. So we, so they're wondering, they're like, we're gonna bail after one drink. Bob isn't in on this, so we'll oh, just see what Bob. happens. And what happened was they bailed after one drink and they left me, Jerome, and Bob. And then probably about 45 minutes to an hour later, I think Bob sort of realized, okay, wait, these two maybe are really vibing off each other. And then he left. By some grace of God, I'm now sitting here with this lovely young woman but I'm sitting there and I'm saying, well, this sort of feels like a date, but it just felt like we're only here because of good luck. What's the right way to ask for a real first date? And I'm sitting there going through my mental list of what are the different ways I could ask that. In addition to trying to be a TV writer, Jerome was also volunteering for this young senator who was running for president. And Jerome happened to get a call right then and there from another volunteer saying, oh, hey, we've got two tickets to see this guy Barack Obama speak tomorrow. I wonder if you'd like to go and bring someone special. And I just put down the phone and say, hey, do you by any chance want to go see Barack Obama talk at a small intimate event tomorrow? And so she says, yes, so it's manna from heaven. It's the best way to ask out a, a first date ever. She says yes, the rest is history. Our first real date was going to see Barack Obama speak, which was pretty cool. So the two of them go on the greatest, greatest, coolest ever actual first date of all time. And they kind of hit it off. They hit it off and they're also in the same world, except they're on two different levels of that world. Shannon, like we said, is a real big time writer for a fancy TV show, ER, huge Huge TV show. Maybe you heard of a man named George Clooney. And Jerome is just this guy trying to infiltrate the TV world. So I got my first job as an assistant on The Office, which I loved and I was excited to be on. But when you are lowest down on the totem pole, what the job actually entails is just driving tapes and DVDs of the footage, of everyday's footage, all around town for anyone who knows LA geography. Imagine a rush hour drive from Van Nuys to Beverly Hills and back every single day. So we are talking- Specifically though, specifically you were in post-production. I was in post-production, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so I'm far away from the job I ultimately want, driving tapes and DVDs all around town. But the whole time that I'm doing it, Shannon, who has terrific job doing her dream with great hours, 
has free time that I can only dream of. So she's at home. I put my phone in my ear. And so we talked for hours and countless hours for basically almost all of the time that I was driving through LA hellscape traffic to get these tapes across town to who knows who. I'm talking to her. So she sort of kept me sane through that job and that sort of growth phase of my career. But it it was very cool just to be able to have that much time with nothing to do but talk. So we got to know each other very well, very quickly through those conversations. And we also got to know where the cell reception drops out in the canyons. (laughs) That too. That too. Which is very important to continue any relationship. Yes. So that's great. I love this image of Jerome driving all over LA, working a thankless job that he hoped would one day be a stepping stone to the big job. And all he's doing is talking to Shannon from his car while she is actually at her dream job. And these days of phone chats, oh, I miss the phone. That's how they really got to know one another. We just wouldn't have had that time otherwise. And, and maybe that contributed to sort of the speed with which we sort of knew that we wanted to be in a serious relationship. Because I think we both early on could sense that this was a little different what this didn't have, at least for me anyway, is it just didn't have any of the early relationship anxiety where there was no, I don't know if he likes me. It just felt easy and good at a time when it should feel easy and good. So I, and I don't know if that's because we had a, had such a nice chance to get to know each other just over these long hours on the phone, or we just sort of knew and just could sort of tell that something about it felt very right. And then crucially, you had a a mouse in your kitchen. That was really what moved the the relationship forward. They'd been together for about a year before the mouse infiltrated Shannon's house. She couldn't get rid of it. And she also couldn't live with it. And this felt like a pretty good excuse to move their relationship forward. Yeah, it was just, it was one of those classic, we've been together for a year you were saying, forget this house. I can't live with the mouse. You move out. And the question just for me was, are you coming with, right? And so I had to sort of make that decision of, is this going forward? Or if I say no now, that either yes or no, we're at the fork in the road. So I said yes, and we moved in together into our really tiny bungalow that was perfect for two people. We didn't know at the time it would uh, eventually have to accommodate three people. We weren't family planning at that point. But yeah, so we, we lived together for, I think, maybe a year and a half, or was it about a year before we, you know, we had a, that good test year, feel it out. We like to be together. We also like to live together. And then it uh, started to creep up on marriage time. So who proposed to who? Good question. Yes. So... I mean, I had it in my mind. I I was mentally ready. I think we were creeping up on what would have been our third year anniversary. And I was sort of feeling like if it doesn't happen before then, I felt like I needed to maybe have the awkward but important conversation of like, are we on the same page about this? But he he proposed. Yeah, I did the proposal and I have a distinct memory. I actually have a more distinct memory of when I have a distinct memory of the proposal, but also of the day that (laughs) the day that I made the decision, because, you know, you spend a lot of time 
thinking about it and saying, okay, I'm probably going to do that. How do you codify it? How do you have that moment when you say, okay, I've, I have mentally crossed the line and I'm making the plans and I'm booking the secret, you know, the weekend away, etc. So what I did, and I don't know how I came up with this, but I decided as uh, someone who has been not a practicing Jew, but grew up with a little Hanukkah and a little Passover and Yom Kippur every year, I decided for some reason, and I know this is not at all what the day is about, but I decided I was going to take the day of Yom Kippur and I was going to make the decision on that day. Shannon was out of town. I was fasting and I just said, okay. And by the end of today, I'm either going to say thumbs up or thumbs down. And I was pretty sure it was going to be a thumbs up, but I just had to have a day where I thought about it and made the decision. And I remember, so I'm fasting as you do. You're insanely hungry, a little delusional. And I just said, I'm going to go for a walk until I have the answer. And I just walked for, I think I ended up doing about like a 10 mile walk. And about five miles away, I realized it was not a good idea to go for that long of a walk uh, with no food in my stomach. And so I started to feel delusional, borderline hallucinogenic. But in that state, I just go, 100% I'm marrying this woman. That's it. I'm doing it. And then I turned around, walked home, barely made it in the door. But when I did, I just said, I have to make this real and not just an idea in my head that I can go back on once I've eaten food. And picked up the phone and called her dad and said, can I have your blessing? And in that moment, he was excited and I knew I had crossed the, the beautiful Rubicon. Oh my gosh, so you just did it right then and there. The whole marriage is just based on Jerome being really hungry and lightheaded. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know what? Marriages have been built on a lot less. Yeah, true. And I also love that you decided to just take that day that you're like, this, this is God's plan. This is what God wants me to do on this day. Yeah. So they got married in what is quite possibly the most Los Angeles wedding venue. So we got married in Los Angeles at a place called The Smog Shop, which is a former car smog check station turned hipster wedding venue. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So the most, the most Los Angeles possible venue. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most Los Angeles possible wedding venue. The place that when I told my mom, she was like, so you're getting married in a gas station? And we're like, no, it's, they fixed it up. It's really nice. It was the first place that we walked in that we sort of said, wow, this is really cool. We really like it. We knew we weren't going to have a huge wedding and it, it felt very intimate and had this little outdoor area where we could do our reception and then we could all come inside. We both happened to not be working at the time. So we really threw ourselves into all of the DIY. This I think this may have been before Pinterest, which was probably a good thing because we didn't need to fall down the rabbit hole further than we did. So here's what you need to know about the reality of being a television writer in Hollywood. I'm sorry, I'm just going to bust a lot of people's bubble right here. I know that it sounds glamorous and amazing. And honestly, sometimes it is. But it is also a career with a lot of ups and downs and very little job security. One day you might have your dream job and the next you don't because television shows end or most of them do. So Shannon and Jerome actually had a lot of time for wedding planning since neither of them were working at the time. That means they got to do a bang up DIY wedding. Now over the years, their jobs have come and gone and that's often shifted the dynamic between the two of them. More on that after a quick break. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, when everyone pictures the noble, you get to LA, you're trying to make it, but then once you make it, you're just in. And the reality is, it's a constant attempt to make it. You're always trying to make it and you can make it and then not make it on alternating days or even on alternating hours, depending on which way the winds are blowing with various projects. As happens in this town, shows come and go. So I, I finally got my job, but it was it was very short lived. So yeah, our career at the point that we got married, uh, our career was a huge question mark. Just really did not know where things were going to go. And in fact, after we got married, neither of us worked for the next year, and that was not for lack of trying. That was you know we tried a lot. And we were very much hoping that sort of the you get married and you're suddenly ready to launch into that next whole phase of your life that includes your career taken off like a rocket ship. And then that just can happen. And we, yeah, both of us for as as happens all the time, both of us just got stuck. So we had a we had a, a year essentially of neither of us working right after we got married. And I had a pretty significant, I think it was three years where I had come off of my first job. I'd worked two seasons on the show ER and I just could not get arrested. (laughs) I just, I had a really hard time, was going out on a lot of meetings, but I just could never convert it into a job. And that really, I mean, that spans sort of the last part of our dating life and then into the first year or so of our marriage. And it also coincided when Jerome did get his first staff job and then did get his next job, which is all incredible and good, but also it was, I mean, in all candor, it was really difficult because I also knew what I wanted. I saw this thing and then I saw him getting it and having it. And I just was like, I want it so badly, but I just can't get there. And so that I think early on in our relationship, we sort of saw the ways in which being married to a a fellow writer, TV writer is good. And also the ways in which it can also be mentally or emotionally challenging. Yeah. And for a little while there, I mean, we really thought and, you know, now this seems like such a just a blip on the radar now that it's in the rear view. But for a few years, it sort of felt like, well, we started with one dynamic of she was the writer and I was aspiring. And now it had flip flopped where I was working as a writer and it wasn't happening for her. And that was a dynamic that we just we didn't like. And it was really hard, but it started to feel like, wow, is this just going to be the the difficult dynamic that we have to that we have to live with. Watching your spouse struggle is never easy, no matter what they're struggling over. But sometimes watching them walk through the fire can make you see them in an entirely different light. And I will say this, one thing I learned about Shannon during that time was what an incredible mental toughness she had. How much she kept her eye on the prize of what she wanted and what were the steps she had to do 
to get there, to get back on the horse. And it was incredibly hard. There were no meltdowns. There was no thought of ever giving up or trying anything else. Not, not no meltdowns. There were maybe a couple meltdowns. <laughs> there were, I would say there was some emotional outletting, but I don't think there was a, yes. I don't think there was a meltdown. I guess it depends on your definition of meltdown. But I mean, that was a moment where I felt like I learned a lot, actually learned a lot more about you when you weren't achieving the things you wanted than when you were, right? I feel like it's easy when I met you, you were wholly content because you just, you had just gotten the thing you had wanted for many years. You were in it. It's easy to be happy and content when you have the things that you have been striving for. But then to see you live a fundamentally content life when you didn't have those things, and obviously this was this piece of deep frustration that was a part of your life, but it wasn't, it wasn't overwhelming you and that you were still living a full and happy life even when you had this deep career frustration. So that was, I feel like that was sort of for us a, definitely a growing and learning and me learning more about you phase. I love the way that you put it because I, you know, I think people think the same thing about authors too. That's like, oh my gosh, you got a book deal. You published a book. You like, that's it, right? You're done. You made it. It's a constant hustle. Looking back now, I mean, it was obviously a difficult time professionally, but looking back, we're both really glad that we have that because it just kept present in our mind how you just can't take it for granted. And that, I mean, surely some people, you can just work and work and never have a time when you don't, but that's not gonna always be the case. And in most instances, it's not. So it was great to be able to have that lesson and really learn it at an early phase in our careers. Because I think it really has stuck with us. And through that, you guys had two kids too, right? Yes, we did. Oh my gosh, that's so fast. Wow. It's so yeah. fast. It's yeah, so, so fast. we said, yeah, basically our, <laughs> our honeymoon phase was just the honeymoon. Was that's quite it. literally the honeymoon. Yes. It was literally the honeymoon. And then we're out of the newlyweds phase and into the OBGYN phase. And with that, before the OBGYN phase, which is always a very interesting phase, and before Shannon and Jerome start trying to turn the committed podcast into the greatest television series of all time, let's take a quick break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile... 
the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I got pregnant on our honeymoon. <laughs> and so we very quickly went from being newlyweds to being parents. Oh my gosh, that's so fast. Wow. It's so yeah. fast. It's yeah, so, so we fast. said, yeah, basically our honeymoon phase was just the honeymoon. It was that's quite it. literally the honeymoon. Yes. It was literally the honeymoon. And then we're out of the newlyweds phase and into the OBGYN phase. Yeah. Where'd you guys go on your honeymoon? We went to New Zealand. Oh, nice. That's a nice yeah. place to make a baby. It is really. We were there for, I think, three weeks. Three weeks. And yeah, it's a great place to honeymoon. The thing about it was a, it was really a fantastic honeymoon. We love New Zealand. We spent a significant portion of it in a cheap beater camper van. It turns out that we were both into, but it turns out I was into it for about two nights longer than Shannon was into it. <laughs> 
That's fair. Yeah, fair. <laughs> so you guys dove, you dive right into having babies. How did that change your dynamic when, yeah, you're doing that right off the bat in the first days of your marriage? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, we don't know any different, right? So we know friends that have been married for years and years before they start thinking about starting a family, and we just didn't have that. It also, again, it sort of collided with where we were career-wise, which was during my pregnancy, I wasn't working, and then I did get a job offer to join the staff of a show just for the last, I don't know, 10 weeks of the season, but it would have been when I had a two-month-old? No, I think maybe a one-month-old. And it was one of those things where I normally wouldn't have considered starting a job right away, but because I had worked in so long, we just sort of looked at each other. And we've had a few moments in our in our marriage as it, as it intersects with our careers where we just sort of have to look at each other and say, okay, we know that this is going to maybe upset the family dynamic a little bit but is this what we need for our careers? And very happy to say that we've, we've always been supportive of one another, even though we know that what we're asking is the other person may have to carry a little bit of the load more so than normal when it comes to caring for the family. And this was one of those moments where it's, I had an opportunity to be on staff. I hadn't had that in a long time. The timing wasn't perfect, but again, we sort of looked at each other and said, no, this is important for my career and so then I said yes. And do you think that set the stage for how you guys looked at your careers after that going forward to be like okay we'll talk about how we're going to balance this together? I think so because I think that from an early stage we knew that we both were in positions where we needed to cultivate and give attention to our own careers because it, we did committed together, but we've always had separate careers and we've pursued our careers individually. So knowing that takes time and energy and in order to advance your career, you may have to take a job where you may be driving cross town and so you're not going to get home until late every night or it may be a job where you have to travel to set for long periods of time. And, and I think that in, in a lot of ways that did bring focus to us as far as being able to say, okay, when we make these career decisions, they're actually also family decisions. And we just have to know that we're on the same page with what it means, not just for our careers individually, but what it means for our family as a whole. And so how did taking that job, what did that do to your career? Did that move it forward? For me, it it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. It was a blip. It it was. I wish I. I wish I could have said the show. Then got canceled after that, which I guess makes me sound like the Black Widow of TV staff. Not because of me, but the show got canceled, and so so it actually didn't do. Other than it refreshed my credits, and obviously I earned money, and that was great. But it didn't. It wasn't until. A couple years later that I got hired on a show, my former boss at ER hired me again. And that was the big pivotal moment that sort of changed the trajectory of my career. Yep. And then you have, yeah, so that was, and you've worked just entirely consistently since then. It was been definitely, we had sort of some distinct phases, but that was sort of the tipping point where you go from, I'm a TV writer, question mark, to just... <laughs> Being able to say full-throated, I am a TV writer, that is the career, that's the life we have chosen and the path we're going down. Those first three jobs, I can connect the dots of, 
this person hired me on this job. And then someone that I worked with at that job referred me to my next job. And then someone that was on that show then asked if I wanted to come over to another show. And it sort of underscored the importance of networking and of doing well on your jobs and getting along with people and making contacts because it's so valuable when you're trying to do a full court press to get your next job. Yeah. Despite everything people say and think about Hollywood, in most cases, being nice is actually (laughs) the, that's the currency. Having other people like you is the currency. And you usually get other people to like you by not being an asshole. And so did you guys always want to work on something together? Did you always want to write something together? And if you did, like, what were the, what were, like, why didn't you do it earlier? Good question. So people, because we were both TV writers, that is a question we would get asked very often. Every time we would meet someone new and introduce ourselves as, what do you guys do? Oh, we both write TV. Oh, have you ever written anything together? Like somehow that became this very juicy question that everyone was always asking us. And the answer was for a long time, no. And part of that was because we had our own separate careers and we were very happy with that. And we liked to already, you know, we would come home every night and all of the conversation around the dinner table was TV and TV writing and our related jobs. But I think what we had felt was that because we each sort of had our had our lane and had our systems and wrote TV the way we wrote TV and had our had our own separate careers, what we wanted to do was find some special project that would have sort of would stand out and have a reason for us to do it together. And for a long time we had talked about Maybe that would be a feature because we'd both written a lot of television, but we had never written a feature before. So we thought, hey, maybe we could go learn something new together and do something that we both weren't already familiar with our workflows and that that would be something that we would we would both come to it as, as somewhat novices that we could come to that together. So that had been our thought was that it would, someday we would write on a feature together because we knew that we could interface with each other well in terms of writing. So we felt like we could do it. We just thought features were going to be the thing. And so we were sort of, I guess, surprised when we found this TV project that we were actually interested in doing. And that is the TV show based on this little podcast named Committed. (laughs) And so the way it came about, just to sort of tell the story, is... So I had been working on a show at ABC that was produced by Mandeville Television and this woman, Lori Zacks, who had come and she approached me while I was working on the show and said, hey, I also met with Shannon, your wife. She's great. We've worked together and I've got this podcast that is amazing and we really want a married couple to write it, would you guys consider it? We listened to the podcast at the time. I remember I went home and I listened to it and I listened to, I don't even know if in podcast, do you call it a pilot? I listened to your first episode. And yeah, you can call, call it a pilot. Okay, I, I listened to your first episode about the super, that incredibly powerful episode about the Boston Marathon. Oh bombing. God, I know, so good. Yeah. It's and so heartbreaking. And it was, it hit me. And that is a powerful story. This is 
intense and more emotionally impactful than I expected. And then we listened to a few more and we said, okay, this is not all of them are obviously as emotionally fraught as that episode was, but every one of them, we felt both, we were like sort of moved and then also that we connected to these stories. And I think that was the thing where we go, oh, okay, I see how there can be all these disparate stories that have marriages that look nothing like our marriage, but we are connecting to those stories through our own experience. And we really, I think we listened to maybe three or four at that time. And we both, I think really liked it. And we're like, this is cool. We dig it, we just don't have the time right now. And then I wanna say it was four or six months later, tiny bit of time had opened up in our schedule. We were both trying to think of what projects we wanna do next. And we remembered the podcast as we listened to it and just zipped off an email to Lori saying, hey, by any chance is that podcast still available and maybe you haven't done anything with it yet. And very fortunately, she said, it's available. We'd still love for you guys to come do it. And we jumped at the chance and dove in. And I can distinctly remember Joe standing in our kitchen. Jerome was making dinner. I was standing by the refrigerator. And he told me about this podcast and that they wanted to develop it into a TV show. And just hearing about what the podcast was... I immediately, and this is before we even could logistically do it. I just said, in, in, I want to do it. It sounds amazing. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You knew, yeah. You knew in three seconds that this was something that you wanted to do because it was just a chance for us to tell s stories that were so fundamentally human. And I think that's sort of something we were really interested in. We'd written for a lot of TV that had a lot of TV. A lot of times has story and plot and action and sometimes it has a ton of story and plot and action and this was a chance to sort of as writers tell stories that were i think more grounded these would be more naturalistic and grounded than anything we'd written on tv and we loved the idea of being able to just sort of delve into these real humans and in telling the story of this marriage you just got so deep in the podcast into who these people were and so we were just seeing in every one of these podcasts just characters popping out that we wanted to write and then at the end of the day because of rights issues we were aware that this wasn't going to be a situation where we were ever actually writing these people's exact story but that the podcast was going to give us this sort of thematic emotional and character inspiration for us to tell stories that, that sort of moved us that we could hopefully invent fictional stories that moved us the way the podcast had moved us. So I feel like it's obvious in the way I'm talking about it now, we were super, super excited to do it. So yeah, we jumped in. And then as you said at the, at the top, Joe, I mean, the process ended up being two, yeah, two years. Because I have an almost year and a half year old now. Yes. And I was pregnant the first time that we met. Yes. Very That's pregnant right. the first time we met. Yeah. Yes. So pregnant the first time we met in the <laughs> conference room in Lori's office. Yeah, that's right. Your enthusiasm was what made me be like, oh my gosh, yes, these two, these two need to be doing this project. They are the right people to be doing this. It just felt like what Jerome was saying, just it felt like such fertile creative ground and ground that we had not 
to mix all my metaphors, it was a sandbox that we had not yet gotten to play in, in our professional careers. So the idea of being able to tell a different distinct story every episode and to really play with how do we tell the story? Because I think the podcast really opened up, since we were taking inspiration from it, it really opened up the possibilities for us creatively of we can do this one in flashback, we can do this one, every act is a different decade of their marriage or whatever the case may be. And and there aren't a lot of opportunities to do that in television. And so I think that was such a big part of it was just the idea of getting to do this about marriage and about relationships and what that means for people. Even for people who aren't married, what can they get from these stories? Because these the podcast, they're very compelling human stories that, like Jerome was saying, we found ways to connect to them even when the marriage looked nothing like ours. So to be able to turn that around and do it for TV, it, it was very exciting. The pilot had gotten a thumbs up enough for us to write a second episode. We'd even, right before the pandemic, started to hire writers to put together a mini room. We, until the pandemic, killed that. We had a lot of other interesting story ideas that we were that we were ready to tell. And again, just being drawn out of some of those thematics from your from your podcast. And one of the things that we told when we when we were interviewing writers for the hypothetical never to actually happen writers' room, when we were interviewing those writers, we basically said we want everyone that comes in to bring their own stories to the table. And even more than that. We want you to actually write those stories and tell the stories that are most personal to you and essentially give you an opportunity to do your own little 42-minute indie movie that will be sort of your love letter to love and marriage and to the institution of marriage and what's the most interesting aspect of that you can think of even down to what are the struggles that you've gone to? Do you want to write essentially exactly that struggle in a 42-minute little episode that's your, that you get to make totally your own? So we were excited about the possibility for both writers and directors and everyone getting to make their own little, as we kept calling them, little mini indie films. And it was a great process all the way through. I mean, we loved working with you, Joe, obviously, and also the producing partner that we had, Mandeville TV. They were terrific, Lori Sachs and Leah Coelho. We just felt really lucky the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that was the best part of the process for me is getting, well, one, to watch you guys work together was incredible too, to, from the day that I ambled in gigantically <laughs> pregnant. And, and you, and you showed, and you showed me the first, the reel that you made to set like the tone and the emotion for the show. And, and I was crying in the room that day and I mean, the hormones, but also because it was so damn good. <laughs> and just from that moment to watch everything that you guys poured into it was incredible for me. What was it like working together, writing something together? How did, and how did you manage then to have time away from that? Because when this is your, when you're, how do you separate your personal life from your professional life? Yeah, and we talked about that too, about the possibility of, okay, if this, because when we're doing the pilot, we know we're like, okay, we have to just dive in and it's just going to be all about writing this pilot. And then it was all about writing the backup script. And we talked a lot about, okay, what happens if we're so lucky and this goes, are there going to be 
rules or parameters that we're going to put on how much work talk do we bring home. And I had talked to a couple people who are writing partners with their spouses. And some people had rules like one that I thought was so great that I loved was that you can't talk about your current job in the bedroom. So you can talk about old jobs that you had, but you can't, like the last thing you say before you go to sleep cannot be something about your current job. And I remember telling this to Jerome, being like, if this goes, we should do something like that. But then I just had this image of Night Owl Shannon, not Night Owl Jerome. Jerome getting ready for bed and me standing in the threshold, just like yelling a story idea at him. and being like, maybe that's not gonna be the best way to do it. But for the sake of doing the pilot, we, had, we were both on staff at the time. So we had jobs that we were at during the day. And then what ended up happening is we had a standing Thursday night date night. And so for, I don't know, four months, three months, four months, every Thursday night, I would go to Jerome's office on the Disney lot. And our date night would be ordering takeout from the nearby Mediterranean restaurant and sitting on his couch in his office and breaking our pilot. And it was on the one hand great because it was so nice to just have that time. But what I really desperately wanted for was more time. Like I was feeling the crunch of okay, we get our food, we get into the office, okay, we have we have to relieve the babysitter at this time, so go creative brain on blast. And the irony, of course, is that I remember Jerome, as we were leaving one day, and I was feeling frustrated, like, oh, we didn't, I wish we had more time, now we can't work on it again until next Thursday or Saturday or whatever the case may be. And I remember Jerome just saying, you know what? If this show goes, neither of us are going to have our day jobs. This is going to be the day job. This is all we're going to work on. So we're going to have the time that you crave. The kids will be in school. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, you're just going to have so much time. And then flash forward, you know, six months and we're breaking our second episode in our bedroom, um, working on it every day for the exact length of a Pixar movie. We literally broke the pilot one Pixar movie at a time. And I was just like, Because you, you had your kids watching the Pixar movie. Yeah, so we would set them up with a movie and we would be like, all right, we have Cars is an hour and 50, or an hour and 50 minutes, go. And that's how, and I would have longed for a date night in the old animation building. <laughs> yeah, and we realized during the pandemic how much more difficult working together was when you couldn't when you right. couldn't trade off and also as it started i mean the in i don't know if we have do we have names yet for we, we know the before times i don't know if we have terms for what was that first three months of the pandemic when it was all new but oh, uh, i think i think about it all the time when i'm yeah. like all right yeah for those first three months what did what did we call that like i call it the early days the early days sure that's great yeah that's the, for the early days we had the early days totally defined by working on this script together. But the way we described it, and now obviously at this point, everyone being trapped in the house with their spouse is old hat and everyone has come to whatever terms with that they have. But we just sort of felt like this is the most married a person can be. And we are <laughs> literally trapped in the house together with the kids, writing together, 
and writing about marriage. I mean, we are so far through the looking glass of just like windows on windows of marriage that we're just like, we are, we feel right now. And I'm sure every married couple in America felt like this, but we really felt like, wow, we really are the most married ever right now as we are doing this. But you really learn what the long Pixar movies are and what the short ones are. They want to watch Cars, You're Good. That is one hour and 57 minutes. And Toy Story 1 is 85 minutes. That's not enough time. (laughs) So now it's time for the spoiler. Do you get to see Committed on the small screen anytime soon? Shannon and Jerome's brilliant, brilliant fictional anthology version of Committed. Is it going to happen? Sadly, no. And that's Hollywood for you. The show got very far along in the development process. So much further along than a lot of projects that I've worked on. But ultimately, one day, ABC Studios just turned off the green light. It happens. You got to be zen about it or you're going to go crazy. I mean, when we got done, we said one of the things that we are mourning as you mourn when a project doesn't go is these great partners that we really enjoyed working with and that we really could have seen loving to work with in the long term that now we won't get to. But To say you don't work with someone today is not to say you won't work with someone tomorrow in some other capacity. So So will you guys work together again? Do you want to do it again? A hundred percent, I would. Yeah, I I think creative, I mean, we sort of answered your question about how it was with more logistics than anything. But I think creatively, we, we knew, like Jerm was saying, we had talked about story enough about our own projects. We noted each other on scripts enough and we knew enough about our writing sensibility to know that our Venn diagrams are of where our creative sensibilities lie are probably about half overlapped, which we felt was the right amount where it's like, you're not the same person, but you're also not so far apart that everything's going to be a battle. And so that part of it was really great. And we sort of knew enough going into it about how we would work together creatively. I think, I think the bigger thing is really what is the right project because on, on our own, we gravitate to slightly different projects creatively. And again, this was such the perfect exact right project for us that I think, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I would love to work with Jerome again, but I think it would still have to be the right thing because I also think just for our lives, as far as being working parents, it does. The, the hard part really is when we needed time to be in a room together to break story, and we're also on kid duty. So that part of it was really challenging. The funny thing, though, was that we realized. Oh, I was just gonna say that when we started, while we knew where we sat creatively, the first time we sat down with you, Joe we realized as the meeting was about to start, we sort of look at each other and we realized that we had never been in a meeting together. And your meeting persona is maybe a little bit different than your real life persona. And so we sort of had this funny moment. It was the same same as when Jerome first handed me a script to read and you're like, oh, I hope it's good. And we sort of sat down together. And as you're sitting down and Lori, like everyone's getting settled. We're just like, oh my God, we have never been, I've never seen Jerome's meeting persona. I've seen his double date persona, which turns out is not that different than his meeting persona. But at the time I didn't know that. <laughs> and that's a totally different persona. And I think we've now seen that Like, I haven't seen my husband's meeting persona, but now 
I mean, he's having a meeting right now in the room next to me. Like I hear his meeting persona all the time. Now, like so many of us are seeing that overlap because you're a different person professionally than you are with your spouse. I saw someone early on in the pandemic tweet that she just said, I had no idea I was married to a, I'll circle back to you on that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was so great because yeah, you don't hear how the person is at work. And again, it's like, even though Jerome and I had talked a lot, just the two of us, I don't know how he is in a writer's room. I can guess, but I hadn't experienced, I didn't know how he was in a meeting. Again, I could guess, but you don't know until you're actually doing it. And we also didn't know how would we be bouncing off each other. Because one of the things of when I've worked with writing teams is you see that they have, they're so used to that dynamic and bouncing mm-hmm. off each other, but we had never done that before. So we're like, oh, hope it works. <laughs> no, you guys were, you guys were great. I thought that you'd been doing meetings together forever. Yeah. I think what we found is that we, I mean, I think one thing is that I think we discovered that our home personalities and our work personalities are very similar. We don't turn on some other face when we go to work so that for both of us, there weren't a ton of surprises. I think one of the other things that we learned was that we just sort of the skills that we have used in our marriage, we ended up bringing into our writer's room, if you want to call it that, to the aspects of working together. Because there is something very similar just in terms of needing to negotiate, find happy middle ground, know when to when to hold a point, know when to give in, all of these things that you're doing in any relationship, you're actually doing that in a writer's room every day anyway. I mean, you're constantly, I mean, a, a writer's room is a constant negotiation to find the best version of something that also makes everyone feel listened to and that everyone is contributing, or at least the ideal writer's room does have everyone contributing. And so we found like one specific thing that we noticed is that we, we always talking about our relationship that we sort of unconsciously hand off uh, the stress ball, the mental stress ball of just whoever is the person that is worrying the most about something, we, t- we tend to never stress at the same time. For whatever reason, unconsciously, as a survival mechanism, one or the other of us is stressing, the other person is supporting. And we trade that off often. And we noticed that in the writer's room, you, we were doing the same thing. Because r- especially when you're writing a brand new show and you're figuring out out of the ether what the thing should look or feel like and you have no model to follow, and you're just creating something new, at multiple points in that process, you're going to stare at something that you thought worked yesterday, and you're just going to say, this is a complete mess. This is not working at all. I have no idea what I'm doing. And everything is garbage. And we should wipe the whiteboard and burn the whiteboard and get a new whiteboard and start over. And that we found that we we kept trading off the person who was having the dark night of the soul and the person who was saying, oh, do you just mean we need a better act two out? Is that, is that what this is all actually about? And my, 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 no, I'm just remembering my refrain was always, I, let's just give the money back. Just give the money back. Like, I just, I don't know what to, and Drew would be like, that's maybe an overreaction. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just fix the act two out. And then maybe we don't have to do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I, lo- I think you what one of you always has to be talking the other off of a cliff like you need that yeah. one person and Nick and I do that with each other and I can't imagine a marriage where it's like both people are going off a cliff it's like all right just keep driving yeah. just keep yeah. going Thelma yeah. okay Louise <laughs> over yeah so we I mean the creative process I mean among the things that we were excited about for the project, I mean, I mentioned all of our other partners, but obviously, yeah, an opportunity to work with ourselves. And especially because if we, if this show had gone forward, we would have been running the show. So the job is called being showrunner, person who is in charge of the writing and then essentially the, uh, all the production aspects of the show. And that is a job we spent a lot of time working on a lot of shows, but that is a job that neither of us has done. And one of the biggest questions when you finally sit in that chair and do that job is who are you working with? And maybe one way to to phrase that is who has your back? You know, when things get really hard, who do you trust creatively and emotionally and spiritually to be in those really hard situations? Because producing television can be really hard and really stressful. And that one thing we knew going into this project was that we would inevitably have someone that we trust more than we trust anyone to be there and to that you know you have someone you trust that much to have your back and that was sort of a very comforting thought heading into the process and that that we absolutely knew that we at at the end of the day would have this great working relationship at the center of the show and the process even if the world started to fall apart around us as it does every every other day on a, in television production. Um, you guys, just to update, I can report that Kung Fu Panda 3 is apparently an hour and 25 minutes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I, um, and I actually have to leave you guys because Charlie got a haircut while we were doing this and did not wear his smock. So I have to go, there's a lot of hair. Right okay. Uh, so great to see you again. Thanks for sitting down yes. with us. Is, is there anything so else that we need to do so that you guys get the sound file, or we just we just Nothing. leave and we're good? No, you hang yeah. up. You just, you just hang walk up. away. Amazing. Walk away. Okay. Bye, guys. Thank you so much, Joe. Bye. Bye. I loved meeting Shannon and Jerome. I love meeting all of our committed couples, but I got to spend so much time with these two that they have become friends. They're incredible. And I also loved every second of trying to turn Committed into a TV show. For a while there, it really seemed like it had a chance. It did. It got so far in the development process. And the development process is a process that often seems completely impossible. But it didn't make it. It happens. But who knows? I'm going to leave the door open. We're leaving it open in 2022. We have a bunch of great scripts. We have Shannon and Jerome, who are just the most delightful set of showrunners of all time. And so I'm going to put this out there into my 2022 universe energy. Maybe one day we are still going to get to see Committed in a totally different way. On a screen, instead of in your ears. But to close out this episode, we're not going to close it out with this. I do want all of you to concentrate though, and send out the committed TV show vibes to the universe. Are you doing it? Did you send them out? Um. Now, to close out this episode, I want to go back to Bob 
What about Bob? Bob, who did not know that he was on Shannon and Jerome's first date with them. And then just as one little fun fact follow-up about, I don't know, eight or nine years after that, we are now married with one kid and we are at a, a kid's birthday party and we're standing there talking to this guy, chatting with him. He walks away and Jerome and I both look at each other and we just say, oh my God, that's Bob. That's totally Bob from our first, like, meet cute. And we, we, at first we were like, is it, is it? We're like, no, we're pretty sure. And it turns out that he is good friends with this couple that we're now friends with. And so we go up to him again, we reapproach him and say, I don't know if you remember this, but we were volunteering, I was volunteering at the Writers Guild during the strike. And it was just such a funny thing because every time we tell our meet cute story, the story is always us and Bob. Bob, and so you're, a big, it, you're a big part of our origin story, Bob, so yeah. thank you. you prob- <laughs> Bob probably has not thought one bit about us since that moment, but he has been a, a present character in our Meet Cute story. So it was we took a picture with him. It was fun to reconnect with Bob. <laughs> So find Bob again nine years later. Like I want this, I want this to be turned into an episode of something where then Bob shows up and Bob marries your daughter twenty yeah. years, twenty five years. <laughs> he remembered the night. I don't think he had strong memories of us specifically, but he remembered that <laughs> night. And he the surprise. We, we started to talk about it, and he goes, "Oh, you guys!" And he was, you know, adding up that we are. He's like, "And what's that? What have you get? What have you been doing since then?" And we just said, 10 years of marriage and two kids." He goes, "Oh." <laughs> Oh, okay. So that was a bigger night for you than for me. All right. (laughs) For Bob, it was just Tuesday. And for us, it was like the biggest night of our lives. The biggest night of your life. That he just got to ride sidecar to not even knowing where this was going. (laughs) I love Bob so much. This episode of Committed was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. With a very special thanks to Shannon and Jerome Schwartz. Supervising producer is Ramsey Yunt. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com that's j-o at committedpodcast.com you can grab a copy of joe's book how to be married on amazon or wherever books are sold committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in atlanta georgia for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows a new season of bridgerton is here And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. 
this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.